we've been considering this poetical book for over a year and a half now. We could start all over again and, and uh, even the preacher would forget the messages preached over the last 36 months or so. We read together the first 11 verses and a question was asked, what link do we find in those verses? And I continue to allow our congregation to uh, consider while I read a few more verses in the previous chapter 15. soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. The wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. What I'm going to do is uh, just read selective verses from chapter 15. Verse 8, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Verse 11, Hell and destruction are before the Lord, how much more than the hearts of the children of men. Verse 16, Better is little with the fear of the Lord, and great treasure and trouble therewith. Verse 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Thoughts of the wicked are an abomination unto the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. Verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. Do you see the clue, the link in what we read together in the first 11 verses of Proverbs 16 and these selected verses in chapter 15? These chapters give us one-fourth of the references of the name Jehovah, the Lord. The name Lord, all capitals, Jehovah, Yahweh, is found over 80 times in Proverbs, 20 times in chapters 15 and 16. And so there is a belief that some portions of Proverbs are collected uh, according to theme. By the way, the name God is only found eight times in the book of Proverbs. So there is certainly a, 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 a weighty, uh, the weight is found on the side of the Lord, Jehovah. His name is the covenant name of God to save his people. And so it just goes to show, for instance, that the Bible is primarily written to believers where we find over 80 references to Jehovah from the verb to be, probably, I am that I am. He's the eternal one, but he's also the one who is the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. 
that idea should really be ingrained in us that God saves by covenant. He doesn't just save individually, but he saves a people reserved unto himself. Salvation is a covenant. And the idea of a covenant in the Bible is not I will if you will. It's I will therefore you will. It's very similar, for instance, to a marriage covenant. Sometimes people will say that the word contract is synonymous with covenant, but not exactly. The contract uh, has usually the if, the conditional element to it. God's salvation, God's covenant has no condition to it. The Lord doesn't say, I will save you if you obey me. The idea is, I will, therefore, not if, but therefore you will. For instance, I am the Lord thy God who, who, uh, who saved you out of the land of Egypt, delivered you, Pick up the word there. I am the Lord thy God, which, what's the word for it? Brought thee out of the land of Egypt. The idea is, therefore, you will have no other gods before me. And one of the, the closest parallel is, for instance, the covenant of marriage. The covenant of marriage is not in sickness and in health, for good or for ill. If you will love me. No, I will, therefore you will. Or you will, therefore I will. There's not the conditional element to it. There is the element of faithfulness. Of, of uh, it's not conditional. We, aren't, we don't get married on the condition that our spouse will uh, fulfill my ideal. And so, the covenant of salvation is not, I will if you, but it's obviously unilateral as far as salvation is concerned. It's two-way in a marriage covenant. But still, a marriage covenant is not conditional. It's unconditional. But salvation is a unilateral covenant because he doesn't he doesn't negotiate with us. In a sense, there's a negotiation before a marriage ceremony. But still, it's an unconditional covenant. And God just simply sovereignly saves us. Enters into a covenant with us, not out of negotiations, but out of a sovereign um, act. But again, it's not conditional. It's not if. I will send my son. Therefore, you will believe. Therefore, you will love me. And it's a precious thing. And the, the name Jehovah is a name often used in covenant context. I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his mercy. Covenant mercy endures forever. So in Proverbs, you have especially the groupings of Proverbs with the name Jehovah in chapters 15, which has nine references, and chapter 16, which has 11 references for a total of 20. 
And for instance, you see in chapter 16, verses 10 to 15, a grouping of Proverbs regarding the king. And the link is, the Lord is the king. But then you have the references to the earthly king. So you see in verses 10 through 15, you have references to the king. In verses 10, um, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So there are, throughout the book of Proverbs, groupings of Proverbs that do give us a theme. Where normally you take Proverbs separately. Because often in one chapter, you'll have several ideas, and not one necessarily main idea. But the grouping, the, pro- the grouping of Proverbs, like the fear of the Lord, for instance, is grouped pretty well in chapter 15, you do have themes that stand out very clearly. So though it seems like separate Proverbs in chapters 15 and 16, even with the name Jehovah, there still is the link of the Lord in those Proverbs. So you're going to find the Lord's attributes, the Lord's works, the Lord's words. So it's the covenant God with his committed people. And interestingly, there's one verse that has both God and Lord in it, which shows that there aren't two gods. One named God and one named Lord. Which may seem obvious to us, but there are people that feel that there are several gods that compete, or even if they cooperate with one another. The Trinity is not three gods, but one God and three persons. In chapter 2 and verse 5, notice, Then, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and, un, and find the knowledge of God. So you have both names in one verse, early in the book of Proverbs. So God is the Lord, and the Lord is God. Those are two main names of the Lord. The other would be the, the name Adonai, which is referring to his sovereignty in every way. So as I look at these groupings of Proverbs in chapters 15 and 16, the overall overarching theme would be the Lord is in control. The Lord is in control. In Psalms 97 and 99, that idea is is defined as the Lord reigneth. The Lord reigneth. And so I would like to take these verses that refer to the Lord in chapters 15 and 16, not all of them this afternoon, but beginning in chapter 15, verse 3, and just, I want us just to trace the sovereignty of the Lord or the the, uh, fact that he is in control. And to me, it's it's interesting that it's not just, usually you have the sovereignty of God in, in the context of his name, God. God means the powerful one. But you have now the covenant saving name of the Lord referring to his sovereignty as the sovereign Lord as well as the sovereign God. So look at verse 3 with me. Tremendous text this is. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. 
That can be an ominous verse if you don't know the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Obviously, you're not, you're not envisioning millions of eyes all over the world. It's, it's, it's God relating to us. It's saying that he knows all that's going on. And this is a way of saying he patrols the world. Isn't that amazing? He patrols the world. The Lord patrols every continent, every country, every city, every town. It speaks of his omniscience. But you know, the people would not be afraid of omniscience if it wasn't coupled with omnipotence. The Bible teaches that not only does God know, it's not like a grandpa, an old man that's rocking in a chair that knows what's going on, can't do anything about it. But the Bible will go on to speak that coupled with his omniscience is his omnipotence. And obviously his omnipresence. All of that spells disaster for a lost, unrepentant sinner. Because as we'll go on to see, that God's omnipresence includes hell as well as heaven and earth. This is teaching us that God knows, not only knows what's going on, all the evil and all the good, but he's poised to judge the evil and bless the good. That's the idea. It's not just simply saying he discerns the two and sees the two being performed throughout the world. But this is written for us to know that God is not idle or passive, or uncaring. He will vindicate the good, and he will punish the evil. And we will have verses along those lines. The Lord is in control. He patrols the world. Verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. This teaches that he is the judge of true religion. He reveals the abomination of heartless worship, the sacrifice of the wicked. It's, a, it's abomination. Abomination is one of the worst, is, is a graphic description of the fact that God is nauseated, that he detests something. He detests the sacrifice of the wicked. He detests the religion of the hypocrite. He detests the prayer of the wicked. How many people were in church, even in Christian churches today, whose hearts are far from God? They've honored him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. We can even commit that sin as Christians. We can daydream. It's an insult to God to daydream when we're worshiping, when we're hearing his word when we're singing. And it takes discipline, doesn't it? Because that's one of the tricks of the devil. Not just to, to uh, steal the seed from our hearts, but to distract us from receiving the seed in the first place. God is the judge of true religion. He delights in hearty worship. The prayer of the upright is his delight. And I read that to our family last night two uh, grandchildren, Jared and Trinity, 
And I said, this is saying God loves to hear his people pray who are upright in heart, who are saved and who, are, who know the Lord. We need to keep that in mind because sometimes we think that God tires. We're, we're often deceived to think God is tired of hearing our prayers or, or he can't hear our prayers or that our prayers don't mean much. He loves to hear us pray. You know, if we could keep that in mind whenever we pray, that God is eager to hear us pray. It's like a parent that's eager. We should be eager to converse with our children. We should not be tired of hearing our children call us and talk to us when they do. Oh, that they would call us more often, talk to us more often. God is the judge of true religion. And the word prayer is found two other times in Proverbs. At the end of this chapter, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. So you combine that, he not only delights, but he hears, he listens, is the idea of hearing in the, in the Hebrew, in the, in the uh, Old Testament, or even in the New Testament. The Lord is far from the wicked, and yet they draw near to him in religion, and yet he's far from them. He, he, has, he, he has a straight arm for those who would worship him without a heart, with a wicked heart, but he listens. Think of it, he not only delights, but he, he bows the, the ear. How often have we read that in Scripture, that Lord, bow the ear, listen. I want you to believe, brother and sister, that God delights in your prayer, and he shows it by bowing, listening to us. Think of that when you pray, that your Father is, is delighted, and he's, he's bending over from the portals of heaven, as it were, from a lofty heaven to listen to the prayer of someone that's less than the size of a pin head. As Dr. McClellan said many years ago when he was preaching from this pulpit, he said, the universe is this big room here, and the earth is a little dot in the corner, and God thinks about us on this little dot, and yet he bows to us who are dots on the dot of the earth. He wants us to know he loves us. He's in covenant with us. He's the Lord. He has covenanted to love us and to listen to us. And therefore, because he loves us and listens to us, not conditionally, but unconditionally, we love him and listen to him. It's our response to his love. His love draws our love. And then in chapter 28, verse 9, without turning, there's a third word for prayer. It's saying basically the lawless prayers of wicked people are abomination to the Lord. He that turneth away his ear from hearing God's law, even his prayer shall be abomination. So there are people that pray and it nauseates God. And what a blessing to know that God is blessed when we take time to pray with a humble heart, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. Chapter 15 and verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but the, he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. This is saying that the Lord is faithful. He's faithful to show his love, to love us who are following after righteousness. 
And he's faithful to uh, abominate the way of the wicked. He's consistent, in other words. Notice it's, it's an antithetic proverb. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But, brother and sister, he, he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Are you following after righteousness? Are you walking with God? He loves. He loves us. He loves him that follows after righteousness. Again, love is discerning, even with the Lord. He loves his people who've repented. Love is discerning. Love is discriminate. It's not random, wild, and unlawful. People have this idea, they don't believe in the Ten Commandments. Well, how do you know how to love? Well, I just love after my own heart. Well, so the people, it says in the book of Judges, every man did that which is right in his own heart, in his own eyes. And so people today, are, they love after their own eyes. They love according to what they feel, they ought, how they ought to love. So people will say when they commit adultery, they're loving. But the Bible shows us how to love God. We have him as our God. We worship him in spirit and in truth and not, not with idols. We use his name in prayer. We don't profane it. We swear by his name. We pray. We preach his name. We talk about his name. We declare his name. That's, that's showing love for the Lord. We keep his day holy. That's loving the Lord. It's a form of hatred to profane the Sabbath day. Think about that again. People think, you ask someone, what's the, what's the worst sin in the world? And what they're going to, how they're going to answer, they are bad sins. They'll say murder. They'll say adultery. They'll say some other very heinous thing. They are very heinous sins. But if loving the Lord is the greatest commandment, not loving the Lord is the greatest sin. It's not murder that's the worst sin in the world. It's a, it's a bad, I hope you understand, I'm not undervaluing the wickedness of murder. But the Bible, as we looked at in the, in the shorter catechism today, there are more heinous sins than others. As Jesus said to, to Pilate, uh, therefore he that delivered you unto me, me unto you, has the greatest sin, has the greater sin. But Jesus said to them, to the rich young ruler when he asked what's the greatest commandment, as you know, he, he was summarizing the first four commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And so it just doesn't take much math to be able to say that the greatest sin is the, is the uh, transgression of the greatest commandment, the greatest righteousness. And so not having God as our God and having idols and taking his name in vain and profaning the Sabbath day are the greatest sins. And we underestimate that. God, is he, he sent his people into captivity in Babylon because they didn't keep the Sabbath day. We underestimate that. And yet there are believers right now, brother and sister, behind, sitting in front of their television sets, and watching football and golf and golfing and shopping and neglecting public worship and time with the Lord 
in the afternoon, taking a walk and singing and reading and resting and reading good books. And so much we can do to honor the Lord. Although we would be jealous for the Lord, so often we profane this day. Lord, take the beam out of my eye first. He's a faithful God. His love is discriminate. He loves those that follow after righteousness. Chapter 15 and verse 11. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men. Here's omniscience again. But if the Bible teaches in verse 3 that God patrols the world, think how ominous this is. He patrols the underworld. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. He's right there. Can you conceive of God being in hell? He can't but be anywhere, everywhere. And so it's not just a matter of people suffering absent from the presence of God. They're suffering in hell with the presence of a, of a, of a wrathful God right before them. It's like Jonathan Edwards when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. And so though people are separated from God when they die without Christ, they're really not separated from the presence of God, but from the smiling presence of God. They will always have, as Jesus said in earth, the wrath of God abides. It hangs like a dark cloud of lightning and thunder and pouring rain. People don't believe that. And sometimes we don't act like we believe it. Like the man that said, if you believe that God was such a just and wrathful God toward those that are lost, that you'd be on your hands and knees warning people to flee from the wrath to come. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. And then it's synthetic parallelism. The next kind of builds upon it how much more are the hearts of the children of men. So this text, certainly by inference, is teaching there is a place where the dead go in the afterlife. It says hell and destruction. Notice that. Hell and destruction. The idea is hell is a place of destruction. It's a place. The word destruction has the idea of a place of destruction. It's literally Sheol and Abaddon are before the Lord. And it's describing the nature of hell in the word Abaddon. Hell is a place of destruction. And so you have that compound idea of Sheol and Abaddon. The place or the nature of the afterlife is described there by the word destruction. It's a place of torment. It's a place of judgment, condemnation. God knows what's going on in the very minds of the lost dead. God can hear their cursing, their sinning, their blasphemy in hell. He knows their hearts. If God knows the hearts of the lost dead, how much more does he patrol the hearts of the children of men? 
He is the patrol of the underworld, the patrol of the insides of men and women. He knows our hearts. He's omniscient. And again, if he was only omniscient and not omnipotent, then people wouldn't worry. He wouldn't be able to do anything about his knowledge of evil. God is a God to be feared. We have the fear of the Lord in chapter 15 and verse 16. The fear of the Lord is found 15 times in the, in the book of Proverbs. 15 times. And another time it says, Fear thou the Lord and the King. So it's a command. So 16 times you have a reference about fearing God. Do you fear God? How often have we heard, I don't fear God. Yet the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the chief part of wisdom. You don't even begin to be wise unless you have a reverential awe toward God. Do you and I really revere God? Reverend and holy is His name. Better is little with the fear of the Lord. Better to be reverent, to have a hefty and holy fear of God. Then great treasure and trouble therewith. So many have the wealth of this world and are bankrupt in their souls. So you have a string of Proverbs throughout chapters 1 all the way through to the end of the book. The fear of the Lord, strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. The fear of the Lord facilitates humility. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. If he is fearful, he ought to be feared. He's worthy of fear. He ordains our lives. He controls them. He blesses or curses. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Verse 33. And again, it adds to the proverb, and before honor is humility. First, you need to honor the Lord. Just like you need to have humility before you're honored by the Lord. First, we must honor the Lord. We must fear Him to honor Him. Chapter 15, verse 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but He will establish the border of the widow. He's the great umpire. He protects the defenseless and pulverizes the proud. The, the widow is reflective of the humble. And the wicked are the, reflective of the proud. He, gives, he resists the proud Christian too. Judgment begins at the house of God. Miriam was struck with leprosy. Nebuchadnezzar was struck down with that crazy disease, that crazy mind that he ate grass like an ox. Saul was blinded and he had to be led by the hand into Damascus. Oh, how he was furious with pride. And God humbled him and knocked him from his high horse. Even in a sense, Joseph was arrogant in describing his dreams. And the way that God sent him to Egypt was not the easiest way to go into Egypt. Chains, sold, 
God humbled him, blessed him. He had to be humbled before he could rise in leadership. Dinah was violated because of her pride to go out and see the daughters of the land. Reuben was embarrassed in his pride. He committed incest. And Peter, think about it, Peter had to be rebuked by a proud rooster. Of all, of all beasts, creatures that reflect pride, is there any more graphic than a rooster? And yet God could use a rooster to humble Peter's pride. The Lord has a way of, of poetic justice, doesn't he? Just like being spit in the face because of my wickedness. Years ago, how the Lord knows how to embarrass us and humiliate us to show us that we need to, to love the brethren. He's the source of our well-being, verse 33. Fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. He's the source of our well-being. The fear of the Lord, the idea is it leads to the instruction of wisdom. He giveth grace to the humble. We are dependent on his grace. For us to have his grace, we must be humble people. The source of our well-being to be humble. He's the one that causes us to be healthy spiritually. A little bit out of chronology, but verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. This is speaking of God's reaction is what really counts. It's God's attitude that counts, not man. The thoughts, the word is plans of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. The words of the pure are pleasant words. Think of all the plans of the wicked, no matter what they may be. Low plans, high plans. They're abomination to the Lord. He could care less. He could care less. But he cares about you and I who, literally it says, and pure are pleasant words. Oh, how he loves the plans of believers who plan to read his word, who plan to pray, who plan to teach our children the fear of God, who plan to live a, a holy life, who plan to be honest in our business, who plan to tell the truth, who plan to resist evil, who plan to praise God whatever happens in our lives. The concocted plans of the wicked, someone said, nauseate the Lord, Peter Steveson. They sicken him. But godly conversation, speech, Godly ordered life, please and soothe him. What a blessing to know that God's reaction is what really counts. Keep that in mind. It's God's attitude that counts in life. And I close with verse 29. Again, God's reactions count. It was his attitude that counts in verse 26. is his action that counts in verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Not physically is he far from the wicked. He's right there. But he heareth the prayer of the righteous. He doesn't respond to the wicked. Even 
fearfully when they have gone too far. In chapter 1 and verse 28, where we read such terrifying verses. The last thing we want to hear is that God is not going to hear our prayers. Then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me early, but they will not find me. God's inactivity, God's inaction, he stiff arms the wicked. He's far from the wicked when they pray, but he heareth, he listens to the prayer of the righteous. He responds to us. That's his action. He will respond to us. He is a God who loves us. Don't believe that God isn't listening to your prayers, brother and sister. He is listening. He's not weakened. He's not late. And rarely is he early. He is faithful. Let God be true. Believe God. Believe Him. Don't be forlorn. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Please, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. and He will direct your steps. He's the Lord. He's the faithful, covenant-keeping God. He has committed Himself to bless you and me. He's committed himself to listen to our prayers. He's committed himself to love us in the, as we follow after righteousness. These verses are meant to link the Lord and his people to show that we are in union with him and that he is faithful to us. Let's be faithful to him. Not a condition of our salvation. It is a reaction to our salvation. The Lord loves us. Not if we love Him. The Lord loves us. Therefore, we cannot but love Him. That's the believer. We love Him because He first loved us. If you and I can walk away from the Lord, then you know the answer, what it's saying. We can't. How often we say, like Jeremiah, I will not speak any more in your name. Remember he said that? What was his reaction after that? But his, yes, his word was in my heart. Let's look at that. Jeremiah, I think it's 2016, is it not? If not, the Bereans will find it. That 2016, I think that's another famous verse. No, it's not a famous verse either. All right, let's look at 1620. Marines, we will not go home until we find it. It's not 1620. I said I will speak no more in thy name. Find it, brother and sister. I said I will speak no more in thy name. But, pardon? 20 verse 9? There it is. It wasn't too far off, was it? Then I said I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Are we like that sometimes? Lord, it seems you're far off. You're silent. I won't do it anymore. 
I can't go on anymore. I can't pray anymore. I can't witness anymore. Help, Lord. I, I don't have any strength left. My heart is fainting. I'm not believing, Lord. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He's faithful. And if we're a believer, his word is in our hearts. We can't leave him. Oh, we may fall away. The righteous fall seven times, but rises up again. Lord, I'm weak. I need your strength. I'm sinful. I need your forgiveness. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I need your honor, Lord. I need you. I'm afraid. I need your comfort. Help, Lord. Please revive. Lord Jesus, please visit us. We fail thee often. We sin often, Lord. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Oh God, please bless us. We feel we cry like our brother of old. I can't even remember his name. The one who cried, Bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, that thine hand would be with me, and that thou would keep me from the evil that grieve me not. Amen. The Lord bless thee. Yea, Jabez. What a name to carry, Lord. Sorrowful. But yet you made him glad. Oh God, please. Even Mary, sorrowful. And yet you made her glad. Please, Lord, in the midst of the years, make thyself known. Western New York is not too hard for thee. Oh God, please visit us. Oh Lord, your people are profaning your day. Bring back again the blessing of the Sabbath day. Lord, we long to see your churches full. Lord, revive. We pray that you would silence the, the murmur. Please, unite our hearts to fear thy name. Bless your word to us. May it saturate our souls. May we go home and strengthen in your word. Dependent upon Thee. Lord, we cannot but love Thee. You've loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, You've drawn us to Thyself. Oh God, please pour out Thy Spirit upon us. Answer prayer. We know You're listening. Answer prayer. Do great and mighty things which we have not yet known. And it's for Jesus' sake that we pray for the advancement of his cause and his kingdom. Amen.